Hello, and welcome to Nursing Sound Reports, a podcast offered by the Iowa Board of Nursing. My name is Laura Hudson, Associate Director for the Board, and we are discussing today all things IBON, for short for Iowa Board of Nursing. My guest today is Kathleen Bebout. Kathleen is a board investigator for the Board of Nursing, and I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about herself. Kathleen, welcome. Thanks, Laura. Good morning. Um, yes, I've been an investigator, a health professions investigator for the Board of Nursing since 2008. Um, my background, I do have a bachelor's in nursing, and I also have a legal degree. So I've done kind of both of those professions, and I leaped into being an investigator. And since that, um, I really love my job, and I'm happy to be here today to tell everybody um, the knowledge I have about the Board of Nursing. Great. That's, that is a fascinating background, Kathleen, and very useful in your position as an investigator. The other part about you being here today is that you are a presenter for the Board of Nursing to um, healthcare facilities and nursing education programs. And what we're going to talk about today is the uh, overview of that which you, you provide in your formal presentation. So we encourage you to listen to today's episode, but also uh, we, we encourage you to get a hold of us and uh, board investigators, including Kathleen and some others, do go out and give our formal presentation. It's available by request. So let's get started, Kathleen. We are going to talk about um, things like the board of the, the board's mission, um, a little bit about education, about licensure, and scope of practice. We'll get into that lightly. Kathleen, tell us about why the Board of Nursing even exists in Iowa. Sure. Um, well, the board is established by law by um, through the Iowa Code, and it gives us uh, certain authority and powers uh, to regulate the practice of nursing. So that is done uh, through both the laws and rulemaking, and um, the board has authority to regulate nursing education, nursing licensure, and nursing practice. And so that's kind of broadly what we're going to talk about and touch on some points today. Right. And I think probably one of the things that uh, the public may not be aware of is that we exist to protect the public, right? So the mission of the board is to protect the public health, safety, and welfare by regulating the licensure of nurses, the practice of nurses, nursing education, and continuing education. So um, I I think that probably one of the things that people... um, automatically assume is we're there to protect the nurse, but we are there to protect the public, right? Yes, that is a misconception sometimes. Um, you know, we are uh, pro-nursing at the Board of Nursing. However, we exist um, for the purpose of protecting the public and uh, not um, as an advocate directly for um, individual nurses. Since we have education, licensure, and practice, tell me about how it regulates education. Sure. Um The board approves um, and regulates educational programs that prepare licensed practical nurses, registered nurses, and advanced registered nurse practitioners. Um, We also approve post-licensure programs, such as Master of Science in Nursing, Doctor of Nursing Practice, and Doctor of Philosophy in Nursing. Um, The board does not approve nursing education programs which are outside of Iowa's jurisdiction. So if, uh, if somebody gets a hold of the board and they're asking about education programs outside of Iowa, what do they do? They're going to need to refer to the state um, where that program exists. Okay. For example, if it's, you know, University of Illinois, they would want to contact the Illinois Board of Nursing. Okay. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Obviously, after somebody's educated, then it's time for them to be licensed. So right. let's talk about license a little bit. Sure. And we get a lot of questions from uh soon to graduate or new graduates, um, after uh, completing your nursing education program and receiving that uh, degree, um, the next step in in becoming a nurse is to apply for licensure. Um, License is required. You cannot practice um, as a nurse or call yourself an LPN, RN, or ARMP in Iowa without a license. Um, And so the process of that is how the board confers that right and privilege to practice nursing in the state of Iowa. Okay, you said uh, ARNP. Can you tell the public what ARNP stands for? That's Advanced Registered Nurse Practitioner. In some jurisdictions, it is um, APRN, which is an Advanced Practice RN. They are essentially the same thing. Right. Okay, great. Just in case somebody wondered about that initial. 
If someone has never been licensed anywhere as a nurse, what's the process for getting their license? Step one is to make application and get approval to take the NCLEX. That is a national standardized examination that all licensed nurses um, sit for and must pass in order to become either an LPN or an RN. There's a slightly different process um, for advanced practice nurses in that they will sit for um, a certifying body um, on their specialty and they have to prove that they have passed that certifying exam. Right, that dreaded NCLEX. As a nurse myself, I know that's one thing. And having advised nursing students before, it's probably one of the hottest topics with nursing students, isn't it, the NCLEX? So once they get their, uh, they get, they're eligible to sit for the NCLEX and they've done a license uh, an examination license application with us, what, what are the kinds of things that they have to, that are involved in that examination applicant? Sure. For, um, to apply for license in Iowa, you need to obviously meet all of the um, qualifications, having the education to sit for the exam, um, submit a exam application and fee, submit two completed fingerprint cards which uh, and a signed waiver, which uh, is a legal requirement. We do criminal background checks. Um, an official transcript from your nursing school must be submitted. Um, that shows the date of graduation and that you have the degree um, conferred. And then um, you will get registration through an organization called Pearson View, where you pay another fee payment um, for taking the NCLEX. And we always tell people that we have all of these instructions in further detail on our website, the Iowa Board of Nursing. And um, we'll talk about uh, how to get there at the end of this podcast. Kathleen, um, what would you say when you are are out giving this presentation to students, what are the kinds of things that they're concerned about when you're talking to them and giving this presentation? Tell, tell us some of the hot topics when you're talking to the students. A lot of people ask about um, criminal background. That is a, a topic that comes up. Um, it might be somebody raising the question of, oh, I had a minor in possession of alcohol charge, or um, I've had an operating while intoxicated charge, or you know some other um, type of criminal background. The important thing to know as an applicant um, for licensure in Iowa is that uh, we are going to learn about your criminal background. And um, all of that information will come in through the sources which we, uh, your fingerprints lead us to know that. So disclosing it is really what I encourage people to do, not to try to hide it. Um, you will be, uh, if it's an issue before the board, you will be um, contacted and that will be you know, addressed with you. You'll have an opportunity to discuss it. Um, if you do have recent, um, you know, or recent criminal background or access to records related to it, it's a good idea to gather those up. You might be asked to produce those. Um, so, you know, don't freak out, I guess <laughs> is what I usually tell people. Um, you know, Iowa does not have an absolute bar, mm-hmm. um, meaning that because you might have criminal history, that does not just directly... Right. Um, eliminate you from practicing as a nurse, but uh, each case is going to have to be reviewed and each circumstance is going to have to be um, looked at. Right, and that's part of the work that you do. Yes. Having a, having some type of criminal activity listed on your background check is not an absolute disclaimer for someone getting their license, right? Right. Okay. So, and we do know that all all nurses are human, just like like others, and mistakes happen. So, okay, so then uh, then the other thing that happens is we, we do have the topic of license endorsement. And right. what, does, what, is it, what does it mean when somebody endorses their license in Iowa? Well, um, that would be a situation where you already hold a nursing license from another state or jurisdiction, and you are coming into the state of Iowa and asking um, to have an Iowa license. So you don't necessarily have to start at, you know, step one go on the Candyland board, but you uh, can provide um, proof that you meet the qualifications for licensure um, in our state and that you complete an application for license by endorsement. You again have to submit those fingerprint cards, pay a fee, um, have your transcripts sent to us, and um, provide verification of your original nursing license. Um, That's pretty much the process for endorsement. Okay. 
And so uh, as we, the other thing we need to mention about endorsement, and we won't get into details today, but the nurse licensure compact exists for mm-hmm. the purpose of allowing individuals who have multi-state licenses that are in compact states to come to Iowa to begin to practice immediately, but they still do have to endorse into Iowa. Right. And, you know, um, to expand on, I, I think we might get into the compact a little bit later, but the, generally the the reason for the compact is um, to allow mobility between jurisdictions. Not every state in the United States belongs to the compact. So, um, and there might be uh, circumstances where you change your primary state of residence that you would then have to move from one compact state, or you might move from one compact state to another, and you still are going to have to endorse in your new state. Okay, so now we have somebody who has a new license they've or they've endorsed into Iowa, and finally we get to renewals, which is we've been a nurse for a while, and it's time to get a renewal done of our existing license. What happens then, Kathleen? Well, um, no license lasts forever. Um, so our licenses have a three-year term. Um, that will be adjusted uh, from your first license if, if it's you know, depending on your birth date. So our um, expiration date is uh, every three years in your birth month, and it's the 15th day of that birth month. So the process for renewal is essentially um, you're going to go, uh, we we encourage everybody to go to our online uh, portal for that, and you're going to register and uh, go in there, and you're going to submit your information that's requested. It's a pretty easy format. Just follow through, answer the questions, um, and uh, you can do that up to 60 days prior to your license expiration date. And again, um, further details are on our website. Right. Right. I would refer individuals to the IBON online services. That is the portal that gets them to the renewal area. Uh, I I will say that probably it is interesting, and I will tell our audience that they often think that the expiration is their birthday, but it is the 15th of the month, as Kathleen has mentioned. So at midnight on the 15th of the month, in your birth month, if you haven't renewed, you will be considered late for renewal. Right. And, you know, this is this kind of dovetails with a couple of other things. So sometimes people's, people will forget, mm-hmm. and you have 30 days um, past that expiration date that we call a grace period. You will be charged um, an additional fee for not applying or you know, renewing in the time frame. Um, sometimes your license will go beyond that and you go inactive um you can't work on an inactive license so there might be consequences for doing that but let's say your license has gone inactive and you want to reactivate it um we do have a process for that and reactivation is a very specific term meaning that you had an inactive license and you are now moving it back to active status so you have to start um the application process um kind of it's similar to back from the beginning but not quite Um, you're going to have additional fees because you will be required to submit those two fingerprint cards again and there'll be a new background check when you reactivate Um, you also will have to submit um, 36 hours of uh, continuing education contact hours um, in order to reactivate i guess the lesson there is if possible if you plan to keep your nursing license active then don't don't let it go inactive and don't have to go through the reactivation right. process, right? Uh, exactly. And I will point out that, you know, with this day and age of computerized calendars, I always put mine in as a personal reminder. And you can also sign up for um, reminders through the nurses and URSYS system. And um, you can find more information about that also on our website. That's a good point. Okay, so now we're going to move on to the compact. I mentioned right. it briefly before. And the compact, also known as the Nurse Licensure Compact. Tell us about that. That is a a wonderful benefit to nurses who are in states with the compact. It sure is. And I get a lot of questions about this, again, from nursing students and even from employers. Um, You know, I give these presentations to hospitals and nursing homes and such, and people get confused still about the compact. Iowa um, is an original member of the Nurse Licensure Compact. That's the long name for it, or the NLC Uh, Most people call it the compact. This allows nurses to hold a multi-state license from a member state and to work in any of the member states. We became a member of the Enhanced Nurse Licensure Compact in 2017, and other jurisdictions are 
rapidly joining. There's a great video that National Council of State Boards of Nursing has prepared um, that I do encourage students or employers that have um, want to gain further information about the um, NLC that they can watch. And um, you can find information about that on our website or through National Council of State Boards of Nursing. Wonderful. And I do think the interesting thing that we will see come up here with a compact is uh, having gone through the pandemic, we really will see the benefits of the of the compact. And that's something that going forward, I think we'll see other states who will see the benefit of joining. It's certainly a benefit for the nurses that they can have one license in a multi a multi-state license in one compact state and practice in any other state that is a compact state. That's great information to share, Kathleen. Thanks for that. Okay, so now let's go on to just briefly the ARNPs because they are a limited population (laughs) of nurses in our state and as in many states, although the population of our advanced practice nurses is growing. So what's different about the nurse uh, nurse practitioners and them and their license in Iowa? Right. We talked about this just briefly earlier, but... um the the issues related to an ARMP license is that you must be licensed as an RN first. So you have to have an Iowa RN license or a li- an active RN license in one of the compact states um, that you are also a primary resident of that state. Um, you must graduate from a program that leads to either a master's degree uh, in nursing clinical specialty area with preparation in specialized practitioner skills, or have satisfactory completion of a formal advanced practice educational program of study in nursing specialty. The ARMP licenses and practice is focused on uh, the population that's served. So for example, typical um, certifications in in advanced practice nursing would be in uh, family or uh, pediatrics or women's reproductive health. Those are the kinds of um, categories. Um, So the most generalist um, ARMP license is typically the family practice license. So once that uh, certification is received, then that's submitted along with that application for advanced practice licensure. So it's two licenses, the RN license and the ARMP license, right? Right. And there is not a compact for the advanced practice nurses yet. There is kind of a placeholder for that. And, you know, I think in the future we will probably see um, an ARMP compact. Yes. yes. That would be great. Again, the pandemic might... That might speed that yeah. along for some of the states to participate Absolutely. in that. Okay, so now we're going to go on to continuing education. So you've got your license, and you're just chugging along with that license. Does that mean you never do anything else to renew that license? No, and actually, this is your area of specialty, Laura. Um, you are continuing education director or yep. associate director as well. Um, so I'm going to let you tell everybody what they need to know about con- Ed. Okay, we're going to switch the we're switch the hosting here Absolutely. right now. Okay, thanks, Kathleen. So, continuing education is required of all nurses when they renew their license, and uh, for nurse practitioners, you do what your certifying body tells you you need to do, and then you can use that certification for your continuing education. But every nurse who renews in Iowa does need thirty six contact hours of nursing continuing education. It is its own chapter in the administrative rules that uh, that regulate nursing continuing education in Iowa, and those are that would be Chapter Five of our um, Iowa administrative rules, uh, six fifty five. Chapter Five is uh, is our continuing education chapter, and I will say, two years ago we did um, well. It's not quite two years ago. About a year. Right, right at the time the pandemic started, we had updated those rules and actually increased the, the entities through which nurses can get their nursing credits. So the board has taken into consideration the current times that people learn online in addition to in person and that some of the things that are offered, for example, continuing medical ed- education would apply to nursing education. Laura, I have a question because I'm an old nurse sure. and we used to call them CEUs. Yep. That changed, didn't it? Yep, that did. That changed in those rules in, um, not in 20, that was in 2018 that cha- that changed. And it simply is that you have a contact hour 
and that's 60 minutes. So if you've taken 60 minutes of credit and you're getting those credits from an Iowa Board of Nursing provider, they're going to give you one contact hour. CEUs was just really confusing for people. It is a continuing education unit, and the different entities mm-hmm. awarded different units, and so the board just said, we're going to make this simple. I Nurses, like if you take one hour, it's worth 60, or one contact, contact hour is equal to 60 minutes of continuing education. Nurses are supposed to be good at math, but that CEU math was always a challenge for everybody. It was a challenge. It was a challenge. So the CE credit can be earned through the entire period of your renewal, and that's a little bit different than it had been in the past. But there are not cr- carryover hours allowed, Kathleen, and that's something that people oftentimes call and ask, can I can I earn credits after I renewed and use it for next time? No, you will always take your continuing education hours within the time frame of your license, which would be the 16th of the month through the 15th of the year that you renew in, in Good your reminder. Month, right. <laughs> um, the other thing is, and I, and I just will say this and then we'll get on to a new topic is, is mandatory reporter training. That is one that is always confusing to individuals in the state of Iowa. If you examine, attend, counsel, or treat dependent adults or children, you need to take the mandatory reporter training. And now there's one place to get that, and that is through the Department of Human Services. That is materials and information you can find through the board's website, um, nursing.iowa.gov. That's a good reminder. And, um, you know, be sure you take the right mandatory reporter course that is um, offered through DHS. Some people might take them through other providers that are, like, out of state or or not, um, not the one that's approved. So, right, right. So, okay, now we're now we're on to the topic of practice. Obviously, these are all nurses, and they have uh, they have a practice area, practice rules, and so this is one I'm sure that when you get into your professional presentations, Kathleen, people are asking you about uh, nursing practice and nursing minimum standards. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. This is a big topic. Um, if you really want to get uh, down and dirty with your information, go read Chapter 152 of the Iowa Code. It regulates our nursing practice. Um, Also, in our administrative code, which um, we are housed under uh, Chapter 655, if you look at Chapters 6 and 7, those are going to be the resources to kind of uh, spell it all out. The important thing, I think, for nursing students, nurses, uh, the public to understand is that we have guideposts within our our practice um, rules the most restrictive guideposts are for the licensed practical nurse. So that's the one that I say you might actually see kind of a ceiling of what can be done. The registered nurse, um, there are, again, our, our guideposts within uh, what the scope of practice is for the registered nurse. But those tend to be sometimes not fluid, but according to the current standards of practice. So it might not list a specific uh, laundry list of the RN can do this, that, and the other thing. Whereas the LPN rules are a little bit more um, specific or restrictive as to scope. The next practice level would be the advanced practice nurse, and that is a broader scope. And so there again are different um, goalposts or guideposts for what the advanced practice nurse can do. We talk a lot about minimum standards, and really what that means is that um, you need to know what your scope is and what the legal implications are of that. You need to understand that we require you to use, utilize nursing process in your practice consistent with accepted and prevailing practices. You need to respect the rights of an individual or group, i.e. your patients or clients. You respect confidentiality um, of those persons. And you need to recognize and understand that there are legal implications related to your professionalism and your accountability. Finally, uh, and this is a topic that a lot of nursing students um, sometimes want more expansive information, and that is available, um, is how do we delegate and how do we apply delegation concepts and processes? Um, Some of the recent revisions we did to Chapter 6, I think, will provide, um, hopefully, our nurses a little more guidance on that topic of delegation as well, make it a little more clearly stated. I guess, Kathleen, when I <clears throat> when I hear you talk about this, and I know that as a as a practicing nurse myself, I can be scary. All of this legalese can be scary, can it? 
But really, the most important thing is they really do need to read. Uh, they need to read the rules, the administrative rules. And I know that as nursing students who are newly graduated, they're inundated with all kinds of things. And their most important, their most important thing to them is getting licensed, right? But boy, once you have that license, it is your responsibility to know your scope of practice, to know what, a, what the minimum standards are. So let's tell them again where it is that they could find those rules in, in Iowa's uh, sure. to, to help guide them. Sure. If you go to the Iowa Board of Nursing website, we will have a link to um, laws and rules. Our rules are under Iowa Administrative Code, Chapter 655, and there are um, they will all be listed there as far as uh, all of the um, you know specific scopes of practice, uh, enforcement rules, uh, you know, and we're going to talk a little more about those in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it is very important, just as you wouldn't get in a car and um, with your driver's license and drive without knowing the rules of the road, you shouldn't practice nursing without knowing the rules of the road as well. Exactly. Our website, again, just in case you didn't catch it, uh, is at nursing.iowa.gov. I mentioned delegation earlier, Laura, and, um, again, we can... We can provide a more in-depth uh, discussion of this if, if requested, but key things to know is that uh, delegation is the process for a nurse to direct another person to perform nursing tasks and activities. Um, the nurse retains accountability when delegating. Uh, just as we have the five uh, medication, and sometimes there's six or seven um, <laughs> rights, there are five rights of delegation. You must have the right task, the right circumstance, the right person that you're delegating to, the right directions and communication, and the right supervision and evaluation. Um, so those are some key concepts to keep in mind and um, as, you're, as you're contemplating, sure. how do I delegate? So the, And so this would be, for, again, for the purpose of our audience, the, for instance, the, the LPN delegating to a certified nursing assistant. Yes, or the RN delegating to the LPN or the... DNA. Right. Great. That's a that's a great topic. And and another one of those, the the new nurses out there, if you're listening to this, please get out there and look at the materials about delegation. NCSBN does have uh, a good uh, guideline out there. And the rules themselves with the new rules that were published really do give that information more clearly than in the past. Okay, Kathleen, now we're to the part of our episode where you're going to talk to us about enforcement. What is enforcement? Well, enforcement is essentially, just as the word implies, is how we enforce our rules and laws. So, you know, oftentimes um, individuals may not conform to those rules or um, uh, follow the laws. And so enforcement is the process by which... um, we investigate uh, licensees for alleged wrongful behavior, and this also grants the board authority to invoke appropriate disciplinary action. So where I live is in the land of enforcement, and my job is as an investigator um, to go through the process of uh, when a complaint is received, um, proceeding with a confidential investigation. And it's important for people to realize, uh, particularly licensees, that um, confidential is directly attached to investigation. And that infers that um, if you are under investigation by the Board of Nursing, only if and when um, the board would issue any type of public uh, disciplinary uh, sanction or action, will anyone know of that investigation? So we take our, our confidentiality rule very seriously. A complaint could be filed and an investigation can happen and someone may not ever, the the topic may never come to the light of the public, correct? Correct. Correct. This is one of those scary things for nurses, right? It is. But we just got done talking about the rules. We just got done talking about scope of practice. And it's another really good reason why we have to be aware of that, which can can bring us to the enforcement or to the the discipline arm of the board of nursing so because we exist to protect the public so let's just Mm -hmm. do a scenario kathleen i'm a nurse and i i find out i've done something against the rules what do i do next what do i do 
Well, um, if you are aware of it, you do have a duty to self-report it. You also have a duty to report um, any other licensees if you believe they violated the rules. Um, we do get re- complaints and reports in via that way. Um, often, though, it will be an employer or perhaps a patient or uh, someone else within the healthcare uh, field that might report a complaint to the Board of Nursing. So let's use it for example. Laura, I'm opening a file, and the complaint says that you um, violated uh, an individual's privacy. You went into the, the electronic medical record. You did not have a purpose. You weren't taking care of that patient, and you wanted to get information about that patient because it was your neighbor, and you were curious why they were in the hospital. Um, so that's the complaint I might have before me, that you, you are alleged to have violated privacy. So the first thing I'm going to do is gather some information, and at some point then I'm going to reach out and talk to you. And I'm going to say, hi, Laura, my name's Kathleen, and I'm an investigator with the Board of Nursing. And I I want to let you know that I'm doing a confidential investigation about this allegation that you violated um, patient privacy um, when you you accessed records of John Doe. Mm -hmm. And um, I will be sure to tell you that um, I want you to understand that procedurally, um, right now, there is no action taken against your license, that this is a confidential investigation, that you can continue to work on your license at this moment, and that the board appreciates cooperation of licensees to to visit with us about cases. Um, Do you have any questions so far, Laura? Do I need to tell my employer about this? Um, You are under no duty to tell your employer at this point in time. and, um, you know, because it is confidential, you know, should the matter result in any type of public action, um, most individuals are advised then to inform their employer or, you know, be proactive about that perhaps. But and I won't tell your employer. Isn't my employer going to find out because you're going to ask for records? You're going to ask for something in that investigation, right? Sure. And that's a, that's a common question. Um, I can subpoena records, and I might subpoena records from your employer. Um, it, should they call me and say, well, why are you um, subpoenaing these records? I can't explain, you know, any specifics or give them any details about the investigation um, other than what they've been asked to provide. Sometimes, um, you know, the employers do already know, uh, you know, particularly if they may have reported, but um, I can't confirm to you that that's where the report came from. I can't confirm to them that you're under investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, what we typically do, sometimes we might need to just gather brief information and we'll contact an employer and say, hi, I'm Kathleen from the Board of Nursing. I want to confirm that Laura works for you. And can you tell me anything about how things have gone? And that's as brief as we get in those those circumstances. Um, so, so then, so what happened in this case? In our scenario. Oh, in our scenario, Laura. (laughs) In our story. So, right. So, I gathered information, and um, the process then goes to, there's a couple of options. Um, It can go go directly to board review, where they will make a a decision, will this be a case closure, finding that they don't see probable cause of a violation of any of our rules, or do they see that there is probable cause that a rule's been violated, and they want to proceed towards disciplinary action? That process would be kicked off by um, filing a notice of hearing, a statement of charges. And um, that would give you or the licensee the opportunity to um, come to hearing, present your um, defense to the charges, uh, any evidence you feel is relevant. The state would be represented um, by our uh, attorneys general and would also present information. And the board acts then as kind of the judge and jury and... Um, would weigh all of that evidence and make a, a decision as to whether the charges are met and what disciplinary action would be imposed. Um, sometimes that process is abbreviated, either through charges in a hearing notice being filed and then a settlement agreement being offered and the licensee accepting the settlement agreement. Sometimes they're further abbreviated, where I might be talking to you, Laura, and I'm, I confront you with the issue of uh, you violated... Uh, John Doe's privacy, and you say, you know what, Kathleen, I did that. I was totally out of line. I shouldn't have accessed that record. I know better. I should know better. And, um, you know, what can I do? 
that might be a situation where I would say, we have this process called a combined, um, combined statement of charges and settlement offer. So essentially, you're skipping the step of having a hearing, and you're voluntarily, uh, and with, you know, recognizing your right to have a hearing, you're, you're declining that. Right. And you're going to go ahead and um, have a document that's going to be a public discipline document that's going to say, you know, you're charged with this, and here's the disciplinary outcome. And when the board approves that, you would sign it. And then when the board approves that, that would become an order of the board. And but at that point in time, once it is public, mm-hmm. then it would be my duty anytime I would go anywhere to work as a nurse that I would need to let my employer know that that existed. Yeah. Or they'd find it out anyway, right? Yes, yes. Public discipline um, it means just that. It is a document that is public on our website. It is accessible through a national um, database um, and Nurses is kind of the, the clearinghouse for that in URSYS. Um, so other jurisdictions uh, use uh, access that for information on licensing, and employers have access to information on public discipline as well through the national databases. You haven't asked me, though, what might happen to me if I'm disciplined. Oh, boy. I, I'm, I'm remiss. I need to ask you what might happen to you if you're disciplined. And this is usually the one of the first questions people, when they kind of acknowledge I've done something wrong, now what? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we like to say that the board has kind of um, five major uh, elements of discipline or um, remedies available to them. The worst one, obviously, is suspension or revocation of a license. Wouldn't typically, in your case uh, of privacy violation, that would not be a typical outcome or mm-hmm. disciplinary action unless there was really probably significant egregious behavior. Um, second option might be probation of a license. And those uh, conditions or probation is is most commonly used for people with uh, substance use disorders who need um, some type of monitoring related to that um, uh, condition, or uh, sometimes with practice cases where um, a person's practice needs to be monitored or remediated along a course of probation. Um, third option would be continuing education. So whereas you regulate or you work in the land of continuing ed and making sure we have our basic continue education, continuing education, disciplinary continuing education is in addition to your base, okay. and it's usually focused on the topic of, you know, what you did wrong or what you got wrong. So in my case, ethics, right? probably. Yeah, we would probably ask you to do um, some continuing education, or the board would probably ask you to do continuing education on the topic of either privacy rules, um, ethical behavior, something along that realm. You could also might get a citation and warning. A citation and warning, you know, alerts that... Um, this happened, you're being cited, you're being warned. Sometimes we do that in connection with continuing education. Sometimes it's just alone. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that creates a public notice of this happened and this is what the board is um, publicly doing in response to that. The last thing we might do is fine you. Um, Fines aren't used typically for practice-related situations but are reserved primarily for administrative failures such as not doing your continuing education or working on an inactive license. Um, And the most the board can fine you is $1,000. Most people hope for none of that, and they hope that the case goes before the board and the board determines that there isn't probable cause and they would close the case. Um, However, that isn't always the case. I'm going to just bring it back to where, when we were talking about <clears throat> those rules, our, our actual administrative rules that set forth what is what a scope of practice is, what, and, and the new rules really delve into professionalism and accountability. And I can't emphasize enough for the audience, the nursing audience listening, that those rules are really important to read. Even if somebody's been a nurse for 35 years, 40 years, get back out there because we do have some, I think, new, well-outlined rules for nurses to read. And, you know, part of that is because of social media and the new world that we're in with the social media availability. And with that said... 
There is an entire new guideline out there provided by the American Nurses Association. Do you want to talk about that a little bit, Kathleen? Because we have seen the issues of social media use, misuse by nurses, Iowa nurses, and and just give some guidance about that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, for, for several years, the, the American Nurses Association, AMA, has set forward uh, social media guidelines, and it's an increasing topic of complaints. Um, and so we do want nurses uh, to understand what they can do and what they can't do. Basically, what you need to remember is that um, you don't, uh, you know, of course, provide any type of uh, patient information um, for example, don't state on your Facebook page, I took care of John Doe today, and this and that happened. That seems pretty obvious, but um, that violation can occur sometimes because you don't realize that you're actually placing uh, individually identifiable information in that. So I usually just caution nurses, particularly new nurses or younger nurses, um, but older nurses do this too, um, that uh, you know, just don't talk about your work. On social media. I don't. And, right. you know, I think that's the cleanest way to, to just set a rule for yourself. Um, you know, talk about other things, you know, family pictures, cooking, whatever, your hobbies, but um, keep your keep your job out of it. Um, we have, we, the ANA also says that um, nurses need to follow uh, professional nurse patient boundaries. And so where that dips into the social media world is, don't befriend or accept friend requests from your patients or clients. Right. Um, those two worlds shouldn't mix. Right. Um, let's see, what else might we want to Pictures. Point out? I know that Photos. in <laughs> national news we've seen uh, where nurses have posted pictures. Yes, and, you know, sometimes, you know, you'll see a selfie and there might be either a patient's image in the background or patient records in the background. Those, again, are, you know, just... Don't do that stuff at work. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's pretty basic, but it, it, you're, you'd be surprised how many people don't think it through. Setting for yourself a bright line, um, this is okay in this circumstance, but it's not okay in that circumstance. Right. Right. Um, and how you conduct yourself online. Um, we do have the First Amendment and freedom of speech, but we encourage all of our licensees to remember that you're a representative of the profession and to behave professionally if you are going to indicate I am a, a nurse. Um, right, right. And that is where some of our resources are available to licensees and the public to take a look at. Uh, I can't emphasize enough that our, our National Council of State Boards of Nursing does have the patient privacy social media use videos out there. And um, I agree with you, Kathleen. It, there is a blur, and I like your term, the bright line, that, that between their professional life and their personal life. And, um, again, if you even have to question that you're putting something on social media, then you probably shouldn't be putting it on social media. Absolutely. Right? So um, that also ties us into the topic of professional boundaries. Kathleen, you mentioned that you know a nurse should not be taking a selfie with a patient and putting it on 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 the internet for others to see through whatever means. Um, so talk a little bit about professional boundaries. Why, why do those exist? Well, um, what you want to remember with professional boundaries is that uh, you as a nurse are in a position of power and a patient or client is in a position of vulnerability. Those are the two key concepts about um, keeping clear professional boundaries. You can be friendly with your patients, but you don't become friends with your patients. That's kind of the, the key word I, I put out there to remind people. The reason is that uh, when those lines start to blur, a patient can become confused about your role as the professional health care provider for them, and you might become confused as to your role in providing that care. It is a great feeling to go home at the end of the day as a nurse and realize you helped somebody. Right. And... None of this is meant to take away from that, but we don't or shouldn't go home from the end of the day taking more from that experience or asking more from that patient um, for our own needs being met right. um, than what we get from providing the services to them. And that's where we see boundary problems, where a nurse may um, befriend a, a patient or client. Um, they may 
end up asking for, you know, favors or loans or accepting gifts Mm -hmm. um, that they shouldn't. They may uh, find themselves in a wanting to have a personal relationship. And obviously the most egregious professional boundary violations are when a sexual um, relationship would develop. Does that pretty much cover it? That does cover it. It does cover it, and and actually sheds it's a serious light, and I think it is a, a really good description the power the power that we have in that relationship, and and not violating that. One of the other things that that we see when we talk about boundaries, right? Because we are in a position to and have access to uh, to medications and narcotics in the nursing profession. Um, let's talk about that. It's a serious sure. subject. This sadly is a is probably a, one of the biggest areas of discipline um, that the board encounters. And before I get on that, I wanted to make a point clear that I don't know I did earlier. Um, I'm an investigator. I don't issue the discipline. Right. Um, all decisions related to whether a disciplinary action will begin or not begin and what discipline to be imposed is made by the Iowa Board of Nursing. You know, they're the seven people that are appointed by the governor made up of lay people and professionals in the nursing profession to make those decisions. Getting back to the topic of narcotics and, you know, substance use disorder and uh, misappropriation or diversion of those drugs. This is a situation where it can start for a variety of reasons, occur for a variety of reasons. It might be because somebody has an underlying um, substance use disorder. Maybe a nurse got an injury, a back injury, and was legitimately prescribed um, an opioid medication for that injury. And then the prescription ran out, and they're still having the pain. And they say, well, I'm just going to take this one um, oxycodone from the patient's PRN supply. And I'm only going to do it this once to get through this shift. And slippery slope happens. Um, So, you know, it is clearly a violation of our rules, and we have twofold concerns there, that um, medications are being taken from patients, inappropriately, obviously, mm-hmm. and that there's theft there, and that the nurse has um, a medical um, condition, a substance use disorder, that needs to be attended to and treated. Right. So, um, I mean, obviously, it's one. this is one of those glaring and serious things that we deal with in the in the Board of Nursing. And I would just say that uh, as a result of that, several years ago, the Iowa Nurse Assistance Program was developed, and that is our alternative to discipline program. And um, we will have an entire series, th- uh, as several episodes of our podcast will cover the Iowa Nurse Assistance Program. But Kathleen, for the purposes of this episode, why don't you just tell us a little bit about Iowa Nurse Assistance Program, INAP? Yeah, um, INAP is available to individuals who uh, voluntarily uh, consent to be um, part of that program. You have to be accepted into the program. Uh, you will be placed under a contract or an agreement. Um, usually it starts with an initial agreement and then a final contract that's tailored to um, the individual's you know, specific conditions and uh, monitoring needs. Monitoring will happen, um, meaning that if you have a substance use disorder, you're going to have to participate in a um, program administered through the INAP program and Board of Nursing or drug screen testing, and that will be at your expense. We also do monitoring over on the discipline side. The same types of program, or actually the actual same agency is used for monitoring and discipline and monitoring in INAP. The premise behind INAP is to create an avenue for those who are able and willing to meet those conditions um, for the period of time required for their contract to avoid having public discipline and to maybe take a pause out time from practice to get healthy mm-hmm. and then to get on a monitoring program where um, they can continue practicing as a nurse without discipline. I'll be honest, it's not for everybody. I, I think the one thing about INAP, and we I do get into this with the, with the INAP coordinator in, our, in other podcast episodes, is that um, we need to keep our nurses. Nurse retention is important, and um, that is a focus of, of 
INAP or any alternative to discipline program. Nursing, as we said at the outset, is a privilege. Entering into a program such as INAP is also a privilege, and with privileges come responsibilities. As you said, this is going to be talked about in another podcast in right. depth, and I do encourage anybody that either for themselves or a coworker or an employee, um, if you're a nurse manager, for example, uh, to find out more about INAP um, as an option. Right, right. And I think the other thing I'd like to add there is that nurses, nurses are not alone and are not any different than the general public in the percentage of them who who suffers from substance use disorders. So I think it is a very critical program. It has been a very successful program for Iowa nurses, and we are fortunate to have that program in our state. So again, we'll talk about that in future podcast episodes, but uh, um, w- all of this is available more on the board's website as well, obviously. Yes, nursing.iowa.com. That's right. That's right. Good. As we began our podcast earlier this morning, we had some objectives that um, you and I wanted to meet, and I think that we've been through those now. We have talked about the authority and mission of the Board of Nursing. We've talked about the Board's role in education, in practice, and in continuing education. Uh, We've talked a little bit about scopes of practice today and where nurses can get more information about that. And we have talked at length about enforcement. Kathleen, it's really been my pleasure today to have you with me to discuss all things IBON. Um, is there, are there any closing thoughts that you have today that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, every time I talk to a licensee um, or student nurses, I think there are no stupid questions. If you have a question, mm-hmm. please call the board. We have various resources available to you. If you don't get to the right person, you will be directed to the right person to answer your question. So ask questions. We have the answers. Right. That's right. And we'll we'll reference the board's website again, nursing.iowa.gov. And that website does have the board staff list. And then there is a section where it shows the staff by specialty. So I really do encourage our audience to go ahead and take a look at the board's website. You can find all things IBON at the board's website, nursing.iowa.gov. I want to thank our listeners today for joining us. And please make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes of the Nursing Sound Reports offered by the Iowa Board of Nursing. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, or Amazon. And we welcome your feedback and comments through the our email address at bondpodcast at iowa.gov. That's B-O-N-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at iowa.gov. Thanks for joining us. Until next time.